starting a new series, as Dougal was saying, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, anytime we open up the Bible and look in it, do you know what? It's awesome, uh, isn't it? And uh, across these next, there's sort of five weeks, in the, and uh, uh, there's two weeks that we're doing now, then there's Mother's Day, then two more weeks of the series. Um, and uh, we, what we really wanted to do is open up this idea, Exodus. And you should have got the, uh, the little piece of paper, the uh, with the calendar with the with the great piece of artwork on the front, the not awesome painting of, of just the the sea, the Red Sea being broken open, and it's little Moses there with his staff. It's an awesome piece of artwork. Um, but like Duke was saying, Exodus isn't just a story that happened to the Israelites. The idea of Exodus is something that's so important for us in our journey following Jesus. It's actually so important in your life. You know, even if you're here today and you don't particularly uh, follow Jesus or whatever, you're like, oh, well, I like come to church or whatever. I want, to, I want to suggest to you that this idea of Exodus is super important for you to get an understanding of how life works. Uh, and I, I think when you, if, if you misunderstand the idea that actually sometimes you're in a bad place, if you misunderstand it, sometimes it's just a bad place, right? You can end up thinking, oh, I'm a bad person, or, or, or you can think the whole world is a bad place. But the reality is sometimes you're in a bad place. You're just in a bad space. It's a bad season, to use an oft-used Christian term, or it's a bad time or, you know, whatever, right? But it doesn't necessarily speak to who you are. It's just the circumstance around you. The problem is that most of us define ourselves by the circumstance around us rather than we're bringing ourselves to the circumstance. So most of the time we live like this. Right? Most of the time we live like that. We look at everything around us and we allow that to define us and we allow that to define uh, who we are. We allow that to define our future. Everything around us speaks to us. Who are our family? Who are our friends? How much money do we have? What is our job? All of that, we draw it into ourselves and we let that be who we are. Where in reality, we're supposed to live like this. So do that with me. Okay, we're supposed to live from the point of view that we are something awesome. We are created, the Bible says that we're created in the image of God and that from us, God wants to do something great in the world around us. I was thinking of a story that we could use to introduce this idea of Exodus, and there's no greater story probably uh, told than this one from Wikipedia, uh, which I'm about to read to you. Is that all right? Uh, this person... Uh, is a hero of mine and has been a hero of mine for some time, since, very, probably since I very first heard of him. Um, and his name is Launchair Larry. Uh, you may have heard of Launchair Larry, Larry Walters, or Lawrence Richard Walters. Uh, April 19, 1949 to October 6, 1993. Launchair Larry was an American truck driver who took flight on July 2nd, 1982, in a homemade airship dubbed Inspiration One. There is there's a picture of him outside of his house, and that is just like a barbecue area chair that he's tied something to, right? Uh, the flying machine consisted of an ordinary patio chair with 45 helium-filled weather balloons attached to it. Walters rose to an altitude of over 15,000 feet. 4,600 meters, and he floated from his point of origin in San Pedro, California, into controlled airspace near Los Angeles International Airport. His flight was widely reported. Walters had often dreamed of flying, 
but was unable to become a pilot in the United States Air Force because of his poor eyesight. His first thought of using weather balloons to fly became at age 13 and 14 after seeing them hanging from the ceiling of a military surplus store. 20 years later, he decided to try it. His intention was to float over the Mojave Desert and then use a pallet gun to burst the balloons and gracefully float to the ground. In mid-1982, Walters and his girlfriend, Carol Van Dusen, purchased 45 eight-foot weather balloons and obtained helium tanks from California Toy Time Balloons. They used a forged requisition from his employer, Film Fair Studios, saying the balloons were for a television commercial. Walters attached the balloons to his lawn chair, filled them with helium, put on a parachute, and strapped himself into the chair in the backyard of, a ho- of his home. He took his pellet gun, a CB radio, sandwiches, beer, and a camera. When his friends cut the cord that tied the lawn chair to his Jeep, Walter's own lawn chair rose rapidly to a height of 16,000 or 4,900 meters and was spotted by two commercial airliners. At first, he did not dare shoot any of the balloons, fearing that he might unbalance the load and cause himself to fall out. He slowly drifted over Long Beach, crossed the primary approach to the Long Beach airport. He was in contact with React, a citizen advised radio, citizen band, citizen band radio. A monitoring organization who recorded his conversation. React says, what information do you wish me to tell the airport at this time as to your location and difficulty? Larry. Ah, uh, the difficulty is uh, this was an unauthorized balloon launch. Uh, and uh, I know that I'm in federal airspace, and um, I'm sure my ground crew has alerted the proper authorities, but uh, could you just call them and tell them I'm okay? After 45 minutes in the sky, he shot several balloons and then accidentally dropped his pallet gun overboard. <laughs> he descended slowly until the balloons dangling, the balloon, the balloons dangling cables got caught in power lines and caused a 20-minute electricity blackout in Long Beach. Walters was able to climb safety to the ground. He was immediately arrested by awaiting members of the Long Beach Police Department. Regional Safety Inspector Neil Savory was reported to have said, we know he broke some part of Federal Aviation Act. As soon as we can decide which part it is, some type of charge will be filed. If he had a pilot's license, we could suspend that, but he doesn't have a license. Walters initially was fined $4,000 for violations under the Federal Aviation Regulations, including operating an aircraft with an within an airport traffic area without, this is quotes, without establishing and maintaining two-way communications with the control tower. Um, It's sort of expressed by, uh, you know, uh, by the Queen song that I want to break free. Anyone know the song? There we go. Ah, cool. um, Duncan, could you turn the laptop around so that the, Ariel's pointing this way. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> have, have you? Have, uh, uh, here's some examples of this sort of feeling. Anyone get that feeling on the open road where you, when you, when you just get past from when you're leaving Wellington, when you get past, you finally get past Mana, uh, and, and then and you get past that way station, and suddenly you're actually on the open road. Well, except it goes back down the speed limit. Back in the old days, you could go fast from there, but you get slowed down again. But that feeling of the open road. What about the last day of school? Can anyone remember the last day of school? Yeah, it's an awesome feeling. What about the very, very last day of school, the last day of sixth form when you finally chuck it in? How many people remember that? (laughs) Yeah, how many people went back for seventh form? Yeah, only people who had options in the first 15 went back for seventh form. Uh, Last day of school. What about when you have your first car? 
That's a serious, serious feeling of breaking free of somehow the constraints that were your life. And now you're, oh, now I'm completely free. Oh, now I'm completely free. Oh, now I'm free of whatever constrained me. What about your first paycheck? What about this? How many people got their first pay packet? Remember getting your first pay packet? This is the good old days where you didn't get a pay check, where you had to needlessly put it in the bank. But you got your pay in a small brown envelope that someone called Merrill had counted and put in there with your name written on it. And you'd take your little envelope and it would have notes and, in my case, had coins as well. Like it would be, like, yeah, sometimes, sometimes notes and coins, right? And it was good because you could just go straight across the road to the shops and spend it all, Right? What about owning your own home? That's a seriously good feeling. No more tenancy inspections, right? Have, you don't have to clean your house every three months anymore. You can just let it go, right? How many of that's a seriously good feeling, right? Nah, I'm not going to vacuum again. Paying off debt. What about skinny dipping? How do you know that that's a good feeling, right? But why, what's, the, what's the fascination with skinny dipping? What's this fascination? I'm going to take off all my clothes. Right, and dive into the water, right? Now, if that might not be your thing. It's definitely not something I do on a regular basis. But the reality is this. There's something inside humans that says, ah, oh, we've got to break out. We've got to shake off these things that are holding us back. There's somehow this level of restriction and constraint that we've got to bust out of somehow, right? And so I think our life sometimes is this constant series of breaking out of one level of constraint, only to find that there's always another level. Or, break, or, or making decisions that we think are going to move us into freedom, and this is the killer, we make these decisions that we're going to throw off the constraints, we're going to throw off the boundaries, we're going to move into a place of where I'm going to do whatever I want. How many know if you do whatever you want with your money, you'll get to the point where you can't do anything with money? If you do whatever you want in relationships, you're going to find that you have less and less freedom. Because the reality is we're trapped in a system that's bigger than our specific circumstances. Have a look at this. This is the story of, of uh, here we go. This is the story uh, of Egypt. Should we read this together? If you've got your Bibles, this is in uh, Exodus chapter 1. Where was it? Chapter 2. I didn't write the reference down. It's in Exodus chapter 1 or chapter 2. I believe it's chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, verse 5. And it says this, In all, Jacob, who's Jacob? Well, out of all of humanity, what God did was create, God creates this perfect world. He creates Adam and Eve in his image, and he puts them inside the Garden of Eden, which is the perfect part of the world. And he says, uh, grow this garden, grow this God relationship experience into the whole of the world, right? Adam and Eve decide to rebel against God. And then generations later, out of the mess that the world become, God calls this one man, Abraham, right? Abraham lived in Mesopotamia. God calls him out and says, come on, leave behind Mesopotamia and come out from your family and start a whole new group of people who I'm going to, God says, I'm going to use your family to reach the whole world, Right? Jacob is Abraham's grandson, and then Jacob, as an old man, takes his whole, this whole family, uh, 70 of them all together, the whole extended family. He's got 12 sons and all of their kids, and they all go down to Egypt to escape famine, right? So to escape a famine, they go to Egypt, uh, all 70 descendants of Joseph, uh, Jacob, right? Uh, in time, uh, it's just by the way, 
It's, it's 70 is a really important number in the Bible, but we won't talk about that. I just, anyway. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending the entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly, they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Oh, man. Thanks, Mark. Oh. Eventually, a new, is that, did I skip too many there? Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt uh, who knew nothing about Joseph or what he'd done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they'll join with their enemies and they'll fight against us. Then, we will, then they will escape from the country. Okay. Uh, if you jump to the next screen, the next slide. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses and supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Uh, Jump to the next screen. It says, Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, to Sifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live as well. Jumping to the end of the chapter, verse 22, it says that, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. That's a pretty brutal statement that we just leave on the screen there. So here's this guy. Joseph saves the whole nation of Egypt. The whole family of Jacob then shift to Egypt. But over the course of time, what was a place of blessing turns into a place of just massive, massive curse. This, this whole idea of slavery um, is an idea that perhaps for most of us is somewhat removed. The idea of slavery is something we know about uh, maybe from history or we know about intellectually in the modern world. Maybe you've done a lot of research about it. Maybe you've just heard a little bit about it. But when you think about the idea of slavery, it's very different. It's very, very different than the experiences we would have in sort of our growing up life. The, the idea that you were enslaved is, is it's not like being poor. Being poor is terrible. But being enslaved is a whole nother level of degradation. Because when you're enslaved, you, the whole idea of slavery and the reason it's abhorrent in Scripture is not, it's not, because, it's not because of the, just the justice factor, although I would say it's unjust. But really it's abhorrent because it denies the humanity of the person who's enslaved. It says that somehow or other, this person is a less than than that person, right? The reality of slavery is that, that you work and 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 then you die. You don't own yourself. You don't own your children. You don't own your work. 
You don't own anything you do. You're just a part of a big machine. And your whole existence is only to contribute to the much bigger machine that ultimately destroys you. Now, it's a relatively morbid thought. But the, the, this picture of Egypt, God uses this picture of slavery to tell us the story of what sin does to us. That even though we were designed and created by God to be free, we're designed and created by God to worship God freely, to relate with God openly, to live before Him, uh, you know, unhindered. The reality is that sin robs us of our relationship with God. And Jesus said this, He says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. That's one of those classic sentences that uses sin twice meaning two different things. The way we behave is one thing. So we miss the mark. To sin is to miss the mark. So we can miss the mark in our behavior. We can miss the mark in our speech. We can miss the mark in our thinking. What's the mark? The mark is God's glorious standard, right? So everyone who misses the mark here or there if you miss the mark here, if you miss the mark there, if you miss the mark here, if you miss the mark there, as we live our life, we miss the mark, we miss the mark, we miss the mark. But the issue Jesus is saying is that it's not so much about if you jump to the next screen. Is there someone still there? Am I talking to you? There we go. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. The biggest issue here is not the sin. It's the, the fact that we're a slave to it. Right, so if we make a mistake and we make a mistake, we can bring those mistakes before God. We can actually relate with God because of Jesus Christ. But what Jesus is saying here is that the, the fact that we're sitting here and there is not fixable. So, so you, might, you might limp because you just stubbed your toe. How many people know that's not a big problem? It is a big problem, yes, as you may like. But when we limp because we stubbed our toe, how many people know that in a certain amount of time we will stop limping, right? But how many know that you can limp because of a whole lot of other reasons that are far more difficult to resolve? Do you know the reality is we, that we don't limp, we don't sin necessarily just because we've stubbed our toe, right? So we don't sin just because we made a bad decision, although sometimes we think of sin as just a bad decision here and a bad decision there. And sometimes it's as simple as that. But the reality is for most of us, for all of us, actually, we know the feeling of not so much sinning because we're making a bad decision, but just sinning because that's what we do. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you can't understand why you did what you did, why you said what you said. Because actually, because we were born, the Bible says, into the slavery of sin, we are like the children of Israel born into slavery in Egypt. And the reality is slavery hurts. Slavery hurts. It's a system that oppresses and destroys us. And the reality is that we can sometimes just put up with it. We can sometimes just get our head down and keep working. You know, any, anybody who's actually locked in the physical idea of slavery they can actually make it work. You can get through the day, I imagine. You can, get through, you can get through a year as a slave. You can get through your whole life as a slave. But the reality is as long as you're under a system of slavery, it doesn't matter how many good decisions you make. It's the system that's holding you down. Do you get my point? 
So if I'm a slave, if, I'm, if I have a, let's say if I'm a poor person, let's say if I'm poor, I can make great decisions as a poor person and move forward. You know? My ability to move forward is going to be restricted by the, by the sort of system, that, the financial system that I'm in. But, but throughout history, there are stories of, of people who are incredibly poor who actually were able to make good decisions and who were also lucky, right, who were able to move forward into a better sort of financial existence for their children or their grandchildren, right? Right? That's true for poor. But as long as you're a slave, you're a slave. So it doesn't matter how good your financial management is as a slave, you're always going to be a slave. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are at working as the ma- for the master as a slave, you're still a slave. And they might treat you well, they might reward you, but they'll, you will never own your work, you will never own your future, you'll never own your children, you'll never own your heritage. Because slavery steals our identity first, it steals our heritage, and it steals our prosperity. If you think about it, um, for the Hebrew slaves, there's only one way to get ahead as a slave. There's only one way to move forward as a slave. If we're locked in a slavery system, the only way to move forward is if you get to be one of the slave masters. That's the best you can hope for is that you get put in charge of some other slaves. And you become part of the system of oppression that holds people down. That you be part of the painful system that's operating. That's the only way you can sort of succeed as a slave. And I, I want to suggest to you that when it comes to the slavery of sin, the only way we can move forward in it, the only way we can feel like we're being successful in it, is if we become a slave master. If we, can be, if we can become the sort of person who rises in the ranks of the other slaves and we can be entrusted to keep the slaves in order, to keep the slaves working, to keep the slaves doing the right thing, right? There's no freedom for the slave master, but there's a sense of accomplishment. There's a sense of success. There's a sense of, well, I'm sort of, a, you know, I'm doing okay. I, 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 you know, I get, maybe I get fed a little bit better. I'm the one doing the beating rather than being beaten. No, if you get to choose, that's a better thing to be doing, right? But the reality is the person who's the slave master is equally a victim of the whole system. They still don't have their true identity. They still don't have any heritage, and they still don't live with ultimate prosperity. Here's the deal. When we read the Bible, it's full of rules and regulations. Full of rules and regulations. Jam-packed with rules and regulations. 691 different laws, right? Do you know what? You can look at that system and, and all of those laws the Bible says are all put in place and were worked out through the history of Israel so that we could see how sin works. 691 laws, those laws are there to define sin for us so we could see how the system works, right? How many people have ever thought this about their relationship with Jesus? Well, Jesus, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I get, just tell me what to do and I'll just do it. I just want you just tell me what to do. I don't like this having to worship you and, and then seek you and having to have an open heart and be soft and responsive. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And Jesus is like, oh, I just want you to relate with me. 
Because you know what? Jesus is not going to tell you what to do so you can do it. Because he already told you what to do so that you could find out that you couldn't do it. The best thing you can hope for as a religious person is to become a slave master. And maybe you can see yourself in this. Maybe you don't sin as much as me. Maybe, maybe you don't sin as much as you used to because you've been trying really hard. Maybe at least maybe you sin as much as you used to, but you don't get found out as much, which is at least an improvement. But really, if you were to allow your heart to just relax in the presence of God, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, maybe you would come to the conclusion that you have become a really good slave master. You haven't actually been freed from slavery. That you've become good at managing yourself. You've, been, you've become good at beating yourself. You've become good at reminding yourself what to do. But you haven't really got a relationship with Jesus based in your true identity as his child. Based in your true heritage as someone who God wants to bless. Based in your true nature as someone who God wants to prosper. You don't live in a, in a, with a soul that's overflowing with God's goodness, with a soul that overflows with God's grace. You live actually more like a slave who's in control of the other slaves rather than someone who's totally free. A slave is not a permanent member of the family. Has anyone got any sons? I think it uses the son. A son is part of the family forever. The reason it's got son there instead of a child is because in the culture of the day, the son inherited. Whereas we know that as a man or a woman, when we relate to God, we relate as his inheritors. How do you know you're still a slave? I think this tells me the whole story. If, If you've got children... I don't know, if you keep a lot of slaves, how many people keep a lot of slaves? <laughs> yeah, yes, Matt Gilbert and Duncan, of course, the many people who would put their hand out was such an, an inappropriate joke. <laughs> I mean, we can imagine what it'd be like to have, a, you know, slaves or employees. Uh, if you have a child, you have a child and you have a slave, how many people know that the slave will sometimes make mistakes and do the wrong thing? Yeah? And how many know that the children will sometimes make mistakes and do the wrong things? Yes? If you haven't had children yet, let me assure you, uh, your children will be like you, so they will make mistakes and do the wrong thing, right? Now, if you have a slave who keeps making mistakes, right, or an employee who keeps making mistakes, assuming you don't work for the government, in a normal world, if you have an employee who keeps making mistakes, if you have an employee who keeps making mistakes... What do, you do, what do you do for that employee? You release that employee to find work elsewhere where they can be truly successful, right? How many of you know what I'm, that, yeah? Right, and so for all of us as employees, we don't want to be the person who keeps making mistakes, right? So it's always important as an employee to make sure there's other people more incompetent than you on the state payroll, right? So that if anyone's drawing the attention of the oversight, it's somebody else, right? As a slave in our relationship with God, we know that if we keep making mistakes, there'll be a point where God's just like, okay, that's enough. We're going to release you. 
Because that's what, I guess if you were a slave owner, if you had a slave, you kept making mistakes, you just couldn't get it right, you would sell that slave to somebody else, and that could be somebody else's problem. This is how you know you're still a slave, or at least you still have a slave mentality. You're still trapped. Maybe you've even been, you've become a Christian, so you've come out of Egypt, you've escaped Egypt, but now you, you still operate and relate to God, just like the children of Israel did in the wilderness for 40 years. You still behave like a slave. Whereas when a son makes a mistake, do you know they're not, you, you, you don't get rid of your children when they make too many mistakes. If you do, you're called a dysfunctional parent. But actually when we know that God is a God who loves us unendingly and enduringly, right? We know we're slaves because we think of God as a slave master. We think of God as this hard taskmaster. That's the reality is when you make a mistake, how do you relate to God in that mistake? How do you relate to God in your sin? Do you relate like someone who's trapped in a system of slavery or do you relate like a free son, a free child of God? Amen? So this whole series is about this verse almost. Because we know that God breaks us out of the system of sin. Romans says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we've been set free from the law of sin and death by the law of life in Christ Jesus, right? Those two, last two phrases around the other way in the actual Bible. Okay? That's the truth. We've been broken out of Egypt. So we've crossed through the Red Sea. We've broken out of Egypt. The, uh, the armies of Egypt can't attack us any longer. We're set free from our sin. But now we've got to figure out how do we actually think about God? How do we actually live? Because it's one thing to escape the system, to escape the physical slavery of sin. But now we've got to understand that the whole, our whole way of living and relating to God has been based on being born into slavery, being born into sin. And for the children of Israel, it took a whole generation of people wandering in the wilderness for God to change their culture enough so that He could bring them into the promised land. And God works in our lives in, those, in these four key ways, that God saves us from sin, then He redeems us to His purpose, but before He can redeem us to the purpose that He's got for us, He's got to deliver us from a mentality of slavery to sin. He's got to deliver us from the slave mentality and allow, so that we can uh, 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 allow to grow in our heart the idea that God loves us. That God loves us despite all the mistakes because He loves us. Because He loves us unendingly, He loves us unerringly. He loves us completely. And then we can be in a position where God brings us into a life of fulfillment and promise. For most Christians, they understand that they've been set free from sin. They understand that God has got a call on their life, God's put gifts in them, and they understand that there is this idea of living in the promise. But for most of us, we get trapped in our thinking and in our way of relating to God as a slave that prevents us being delivered from Egypt. How do you know if you're still a slave of sin? Let's have a look at Titus in the next uh, screen. This is from the Message Bible. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin. We were ordered every which way by our glands. 
We're still slaves of sin when our body is making decisions for us, when our glands are making decisions for us. You could, it doesn't say it in the Bible, but the next bit here says we're going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. So that's our emotions are making the decisions for us. Our, 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 maybe our body's not making decisions for us like it used to. But we still got the chip on our shoulder. And, we, and if someone hates us, we hate them back, right? When God, our lo- kind and loving Savior, when God, our kind and loving Savior, stepped in, He saved us from all that. It was all His doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people. He washed us inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with Him and given us back our lives and there is more life to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. Uh, it's a cool little picture of what, what life used to be like, but for some of us, what life is like. Our body's making decisions for us. Our emotions are making decisions for us. Our reactions are just our reactions. That's just who I am. I'm just being me. Well, the reality is God saved us from all of that, and he's brought us into this new life of hope. And that's what this series is about, is the fact that God breaks us out of Egypt. We can escape not just the slavery of sin, but we can, as God begins working in us, we can be redeemed to our original purpose in God. We can be set free. Amen? Last point, and before we close in prayer, in the last screen, uh, you can't free yourself. John eight thirty six is the carries on the scripture it says. So, I wrote this in myself rather than copying and paste, cutting and pasting. But so, of the sun, <laughs> if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And a slave is not a permanent member of the family. But if the Son, if Jesus Christ sets us free, then we're free indeed. How many people know the story of Moses? How did Moses go when he tried to set the people of Israel free? He saw what the problem was. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and so he killed the Egyptian. It was a largely unsuccessful rebellion. Moses fled into the wilderness. And he hid out there. Do you know, in our, our, our own attempts to free ourselves, do you know what we mainly do? We mainly kill other people and then hide out in the wilderness. So we have the choice of being a slave master. I'm just, I'm just going to be the slave master of my life. I'm going to make sure I'm at church every Sunday. I'm going to pay my tithes. I'm going to stop swearing. I'm going to, I'm going to master myself. Or we can be like Moses, come on, freedom, let's, let's kill somebody. Let's lash out and then let's hide out. Or we can say, no, it's actually Jesus, it's God who needs to set us free. Do you know, um, I didn't know if I wanted to say this or not, but our hero who started the, we started with this morning, Larry, the lawn chair pilot, he didn't live long. And in fact, he died pretty tragically because of the hurts that he carried as a person. And I just think it's, 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 a, it's actually a metaphor 
His life is metaphorical for human life. That we're desperate, we've got this desperate desire to be free. We've got, the, we've got the desperate desire to just relate with God and openness and relate with people with freedom, with grace and with, with, with gracious life, right? But the best we can manage is a lawn chair and balloons and a moment and moments of elevation. But for Larry, really crashing down into reality, his life was something he couldn't bear to live. And you know, the reality this morning is I don't know where anybody's at. I know what my life is like. And I know that regularly I feel trapped. The Apostle Paul said, trapped in this body of sin. Locked up in circumstances and situations and locked up in ways of thinking and behaving that are controlling me. I know that even though God set me, even though I've responded to Jesus, He set me free from sin, I still find myself trapped in ways of thinking, ways of relating to God that are much more like a slave than like a son. And I know that on the journey God has me on, if He's going to redeem the gifts that He's put in my life, and if I'm going to fulfill the purpose He has for me, I've got to be prepared to keep coming back to Him and saying, Oh, Jesus, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need your presence, my life. Father, I need your love. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I'm desperately dependent on your goodness, your grace, and your love. And I know that's your heart too. And I'm just praying that across the next five weeks that actually, maybe even during the week, taking some time to think about this idea, maybe reading through the story of Exodus, if you're brave, reading through the book of Romans. And just saying, God, where am I locked up in sin and where are you wanting to set me free? Could we resist the desire to become the slave drivers of our religious existence? Could we resist the desire to just lash out and then hide? How do you lash out and hide? Oh, you break down, pray a lot, cry a lot. There's nothing wrong with that. Crying is really good. Recommend it actually. Do it as many times as much once a week, have a good cry. But sometimes we like, oh, I'll get someone to pray for me, and oh, yeah, I really need to pray. And then we hide out. There's nothing wrong with what Moses did. Killing the Egyptian, good idea. Kill the Egyptian. But then he went and hid. Where sometimes we do that. We're like, respond to God in a moment, like a church or in a conference environment. And then the next minute, where's Moses? He's hiding out. Whereas God's calling us to relate with him constantly. Say, God, my heart is open. Keep working in my world. Amen. When you close your eyes and bow your head just before as we pray. I don't know everybody here this morning. But anyway, the quip is what we love to do every Sunday gives people an opportunity to respond to Jesus. The reality is this. The whole world is ensnared by sin. You don't need to read too many newspapers to realize this the system doesn't work. As long as there's humans involved, things seem to miss the mark. The reality is in your own life, try as you might, your life misses the mark. It misses the mark of what God intended. It misses the mark of what's best for people around you. It misses the mark of even what you want for your life. And this morning I was talking about the simple fact that unless 
unless the Son sets you free, unless Jesus sets you free, then you really can't find freedom. You really can't find what you're looking for unless you open your heart to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going to acknowledge you as my Savior, as my Lord, as my loving God. So this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer acknowledging Jesus as your Savior. If you've not done that before, could I encourage you to do that this morning if you're ready? If you think, yeah, this is the decision I want to make. Perhaps you hear, maybe you've made the decision in the past, but this morning you really feel like it's the right thing for you to do to recommit and to rededicate your life to Him. If that's you, you can raise your hand in a minute as well and I'll include you in the prayer. I'm not going to get you out of your seat. I don't want anyone to be embarrassed, but I do want you to take the step of lifting your hand to say, yeah, that's me. This morning I want to commit my life to Jesus. I want to ask Him for forgiveness and I want to ask Him to set me free. So if that's you, just well, everyone else has got their heads bowed and their eyes closed. You could just shoot your hand up, give me a wave, say, yeah, I wanted to make that decision this morning. I want to acknowledge Jesus as my Savior, acknowledge Him as my Lord. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down and then we're going to pray. I haven't seen anybody's hand yet. But if you want to make make this decision this morning, just encourage you, why don't you lift your hand up and then we'll pray. Awesome. I haven't seen anybody's hand, but could we stand together, church? Is that all right? I I wrote on Facebook, I reckon this this series that we're preaching is, is my, it's just, it's so critical. If you don't know Jesus, it's critical that you understand this idea of being, that God wants to bring us out. And He wants to bring us into His promise. But if you've been a Christian for 20 years, it's so critical that we understand God bringing us out to bring us into something awesome. You you won't understand any of the seasons of your life unless you understand that God brings us out of slavery and then He takes us on a journey where we find Him, we get to know Him, where we get to grow, where we get to deal with the stuff in our life so that when we God, God can ultimately fulfill His plan, His purposes through us. Nothing will make sense unless you understand that. The Bible won't make sense unless you understand that. The book of James starts off in saying, come on, count it all joy when you face trials of every kind. Well, that's just mental. Unless you understand that the trials and the pro, are the process God's bringing us through to set us free in our thinking, to set us free in our hearts. Amen? And I just, I know there's a bunch of different circumstances in the room with pe- people with different circumstances. That it is pressure, lots of pressure. But I really believe that God is forming things in us when we're going through those trials. Doesn't mean they're good fun. Doesn't mean they're good people in the other, you know, the other people in the trial. It doesn't mean it's a good circumstance. It doesn't mean it's God's plan. But in the middle of your life, God's working His plan in it. Even in those difficult times, even in those tough times, God's working to make you into who He's calling you to be, right? Everyone's like, come, you should be excited. Count it all joy when you face trials. Yay! It's not supposed to be ironic and weird that we should count it all joy, but we should say, come on, I know God, you're doing something in me. I know God, you're doing something in me. Come on, unless you, unless, you, unless you can get to that point. Come on, you can get to that point. When you get to that point where you say, God, I know you're doing something in me, then you will start to interpret the situation around you differently. And you'll find what we're after. You'll find freedom. Even before the circumstance changes, you find freedom. You find peace when you understand that God is at work in it and around it and beyond it. Amen? 
Amen. Why don't you lift your hand? Let's begin to pray. Is that okay? Why don't you lift your voice in prayer? wherever you're standing, and just say, God, I want to open my heart to you. God, I want you to work in my world. God, we thank you for the reality, Lord God, that you, Jesus, you do set us free. You move us from darkness and into your light. You move us from, Lord God, in glorious procession. God, you lead us in triumph. And Lord God, right now, I just pray that you'd move right across this room. Lord, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, that you would locate us, Lord God, that you would help us to understand where we're at. The things that we're struggling with, the ways that we're thinking, Lord God, I pray that we'd have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for every person in the room. Lord God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom. Lord, that you'd help us to make decisions that bring us to freedom, that move us away from bondage, Lord God, that we'd be able to respond to you, Lord God. I pray right now across this room, Lord, we ask for a revelation of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, that across the next five weeks as we look at this series of of Exodus, Lord God, I pray, God, that we would, Lord God, that you'd reveal to us the moments when we're thinking like a slave. Lord, you'd reveal to us those, 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 those thought patterns that are holding us back. Lord, you'd reveal to us those, those attitudes, those emotions that are based on slavery. Lord God, and you'd reveal to us what it looks like for us to live free as your children, as sons and daughters, as inheritors of the kingdom, as, as, as people of promise, as people, Lord God, who live under the guarantee of your goodness, the guarantee of your blessing. We live under the guarantee of your grace. Lord God, we pray. Lord God, as a community, we would greater and more ably reflect your love, your grace, your goodness, your presence in our lives, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. Awesome. Yeah, everyone seems somber. Is that that because we've been talking about slavery and death for far too long? Awesome. Hey, we're going to finish with a song.